invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Uh, your bulletin says that we'll be reading through verse 39, but we'll not, we're not going to get that far. We're going to read through verse 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing display of your love towards us sinners. Lord, I pray as we open your word, by the Holy Spirit, you would open up our eyes to hear and to understand your word. Lord, whatever words are not from me, may they fall to the ground, but may your words remain forever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, in light of all that is going on in our world today, particularly uh, the wars happening in Ukraine, I would love to just thank you and ask you for your continued prayers. Uh, both of my parents were born in Ukraine. Uh, my wife was born in Ukraine. Her and her family uh, moved from there. They immigrated in 1995. And as the evil powers of this world, the elites, as they fight for their own interests, uh, the poor people, they suffer. And so, church, pray for the churches in Ukraine. Uh, pray for the people out there in Ukraine um, that this would go away soon and that, um, yeah, things would return back to peace. And we say that as we look forward to the peace that we will have forever in the kingdom of God. And so, no matter what goes on in our world, this evening, the best thing we can do as the people of God is turn our attention to the word of God and hear from him. Um, they say that some of the most impactful conversations, um, some of the most life-changing moments in our life happen over a meal. And today we get to see what impact happens when people, when we feast with Jesus. Last week, Luke introduced us to this elite religious group, uh, the Pharisees. They came to listen to Jesus. They came to see what Jesus is all about, but with the hopes of catching Jesus misusing God's word. They wanted to accuse Jesus. And in every good story, every good book or movie, um, heroes have villains. And so for Jesus, one of those villains, these people who are constantly against him, are the Pharisees. They're always appearing to challenge Jesus, to 
test Jesus. They always oppose him, and ultimately, they will be the ones who bring Jesus to execution. And so, in today's text, we see these Pharisees, again, trying to scrutinize Jesus, trying to catch him in a failure. And so, we have this story of how Jesus calls and shares a meal with a tax collector. As we saw before um, in, this, in this book, in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, tax collectors, they were some of the most hated people in all of Israel. Um, it's because they worked on the behalf of Rome. They collected taxes from their own fellow brothers. And so they were also named, labeled as thieves, as those who would extort money from others. They would add illegitimate fees, illegitimate taxes to basically take for themselves. Tax collectors, they were wealthy at that time, and people would not dare disobey a tax collector because they had the power of Rome, the power of government on their side. And so Jesus passes one of these tax collection booths, and he sees Levi, and Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. Simple words. And we read in verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And so we see as Jesus calls Levi to follow him, Jesus, I mean, Levi listens to the words of Christ. He leaves behind everything scripture tells us, and he follows Jesus. He leaves behind his job as a tax collector, which means he's leaving a nice source of income. He's leaving a lot of money on the table. And we know that Levi leaves everything behind and never looks back because the other gospels tell us that this man Levi is actually Matthew who became the apostle of Jesus Christ, who wrote to us the gospel of Matthew. Out of all the disciples, Levi had the most to lose. Peter could always return to fishing, and he, all, and he at times did return to fishing. Matthew could never go back to his profession as a tax collector. And in verse 29, we see that Levi, as he leaves everything behind, he makes a great feast, and he invites all of his fellow tax collectors, and we see that he invites other friends, and he also invites Jesus. And Jesus comes to this feast, and we see that Jesus makes himself comfortable. We read he reclines at the table with them. It's a posture of acceptance, a posture of friendship. Jesus is enjoying this feast that Levi throws. And in verse 30 we read, And the Pharisees and their scribes, they grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you recline with sinners? Why do you make yourself comfortable? with them. To the Pharisees, this was shocking. 
They were the teachers of the law. They worked hard to preserve Jewish tradition. They were the image of holiness. For them to have any association with sinners like the tax collectors meant defilement. There's this great divide that they have made. It was between them, the holy elites, and the tax collectors, and others, sinners. And the two sides could never be crossed. They would not dare to associate themselves with such a lowly people. They could not do life together. And here's Jesus, who is also a teacher of Scripture. He spends every single Sabbath teaching in Jewish synagogues. He has a great following, and he's having a great time eating and drinking with these sinners. Jesus is crossing over to the other side. He does not care about the traditions and practices of these Pharisees to keep themselves apart, to defile themselves. Jesus enters into the house of Levi, he reclines. I love that word. He reclines. He, it's, it's a position of comfort. And he eats. And this obviously enrages the religious leaders. In fact, this became a, a mocking nickname for Jesus. They would mock him and say that he is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. We view that today as a good thing. But they were looking at it as a horrid thing. How could he be from God? How could he be the son of God? Look who he associates himself with. He's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And in verse 31 and 32, we see Jesus' response to their grumbling. And these words are simple, short, and incredibly profound. And as we read these words, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at Jesus' response, and I want to make three observations from Jesus' words. Verse 31, and Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, they have divided their world into two categories. In the first category, they put themselves and their followers as the righteous and holy. In the other category were tax collectors and all of the other sinners. And here we see that Jesus responds by giving us also two categories. In the first category, we have people who are well. They are healthy. They do not need a physician. He also describes them as the righteous ones. And in the second category are those who are sick. They need a physician. Jesus also calls them sinners. And in case we missed it, Jesus here is being incredibly ironic. The well, those who are well, those who are righteous, they are not well or righteous at all. They are deceived by their own self-righteousness. Their righteousness is self-proclaimed. 
It is an invented righteousness. And what Jesus is doing, this is the first point I forgot to mention, that is he is leveling the playing field. Jesus is showing that there is no great divide between you Pharisees and these sinners and tax collectors. He sees both the Pharisees and the tax collectors as sinners who are not doing well and need a savior. Both parties have sinned. Both parties have fallen short. One of them is just blind to it. The second thing that we see in the response of Jesus, he shows us that there is no hope for those who are self-righteous. Self-righteousness is a very dangerous place to be. While both the Pharisees and the tax collectors are sick and in need of a physician, one is deceived into believing that he is well. He is good. He does not need help. And Jesus clearly says here, I came for the sick. I came for the sinner. In other words, to qualify for fellowship with Jesus, to feast with Jesus, to recline at the table with Jesus, an acknowledgement and awareness of your sin is necessary. You not doing well is the very thing that qualifies you to be saved and cared for by Jesus. That's why Jesus is comfortably enjoying this feast with the sinners. This is exactly what he came to do. And when we do not see our sin, when we think that we are well, when we think that, then we begin to think that we do not need Jesus. We trust our righteousness. We think it's enough. We think our good will, at the end of the day, outweigh the bad. But in reality, our righteousness is pretentious. Our righteousness is hypocritical like these Pharisees. Even the right things, the good things that we do, is stained by sin. Our self-righteousness is actually blindness to the reality of our sin. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. Because only the righteousness of Jesus is able to save us. Only the righteousness of Jesus can get you into the kingdom of God. Our righteousness is pointless. One time Jesus describes the Pharisees in this interesting term. He called them whitewashed tombs. You see those holy Pharisees? They look so perfect, so righteous. They're actually whitewashed tombs. Inside of them is poison. Inside is death. Pretty on the, pretty on the outside. Rot and stench on the inside. Jesus was very clear about what self-righteousness is. 
The Bible says our righteousness is like dirty rags, meaning the best efforts that you put forth are so stained by sin, nothing that we can produce on our own can qualify as righteous before God. Only the righteousness of Jesus can bring you into the kingdom of God. And listen, you can't receive Jesus. You can't feast with Jesus until you have laid your self-righteousness aside. Until you see your self-righteousness as sin that prevents you to come to Jesus, you will not feast with Christ. There is no hope for those who remain in the delusion that they are well and that they are righteous. The greatest enemy that stands before you and before Jesus is your self-righteousness. There is no greater enemy that could stand between you and Jesus. And this doesn't just apply to unbelievers. So many Christians are missing out on fellowship with Christ and their life. In the midst of their anxiety, they don't, do not know what comfort is. In the midst of trouble and tribulation, they do not have joy. In the midst of craziness, they do not have peace because they have no fellowship in Christ. Oftentimes, thinking we are well, actually we are sick. This was a problem in one of the churches that John was told to write, the church of Laodicea. Jesus tells this church in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. These words are not to the world. These words are to a church that has forsaken fellowship with Jesus. Somehow, Jesus ended up on the outside. They think they are having fellowship and everything is great. And Jesus is not in the midst of them. He's on the outside. What happened? In Revelations 3.17, three verses Above that, we get a glimpse into what happened. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, Jesus is addressing Christian Pharisees. Do you see the parallel between Jesus' words in Luke 5.31 and Jesus' words in Revelations 3.17? In Luke, Jesus addresses the fact that they think they are well, they think they are righteous when really they are sick in sin. And in Revelation, Jesus addresses the fact that they think they are rich that they are prosperous and they need nothing when in reality they are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. This church was in deep delusion and deception. 
that had mistaken the gifts of Jesus for Jesus somewhere, I don't know, because of financial, physical, or spiritual blessing, the focus was taken off of Christ and on themselves. They are celebrating themselves, how great they are, how great their accomplishments are, how they have it all together. And the true giver of life, Christ, stands on the outside. What a horrible place to be. Place of delusion. Thinking everything is well. The greatest enemy that stands between you and Jesus is your self-righteousness. And Jesus invites us that without him we are wretched. Without him, we are poor, we are blind, we are naked. To see this reality, we must put aside our righteousness. We must cling to Jesus as the true giver of life. And third and last observation that I want to make as we look at Jesus' reply to the Pharisees is that When Jesus communes with sinners, he does not leave them the same. Jesus' community with sinners always comes with accountability. Even though our sin is the very thing that qualifies us to come to Jesus, Jesus never leaves us in our sin. The Pharisees, they assumed that by eating and drinking, by reclining, by getting comfortable with the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus was approving of their sinful life. But in the response that Jesus gives, we see that that is not the case. Jesus answers them, verse 31, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. A good physician, he will do everything to get the sick well. A caring physician will never be okay with allowing his patient continuing in sickness. And that is what Jesus does. He does not allow us to stay in our sin. Jesus says, I have come to call the sinners to repentance. Jesus wasn't there just to chill. Jesus wasn't there just to eat and get comfortable with them, even though he was doing that. Jesus was also there to call the sinners to repentance. And so in the life of Jesus, as we look at this story, we see that as he lives with sinners, He has this balance, this perfect balance between community and accountability. Jesus is feasting. He is very comfortable in the company of sinners. But he did so without compromise. He calls them to repent from their sin. And Matthew was repentant. As Jesus calls them, 
as Jesus enters into his house and dines with him, as he calls him to repentance, Matthew does leave behind his sinful ways of cheating his people, of stealing money. Matthew repents. There was no compromise for Jesus. And we can learn a lot from this, church. For me, as a Christian, this is one of the hardest things to do. I always struggle to keep the balance of community and accountability. We either do one or the other. Very rarely do we do both. We're either good just at community. We are aware of our brother's sin, of our neighbor's sin. We love to spend time with them. And we say, I just want to love them. I just want to spend time with them, just like Jesus did. And if I mention sin, I might burn bridges, so I'm not going to do that. So let them just look at my life. They know what I believe. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm just going to love them by spending time with them. Or we're just good at accountability. Yeah, I've addressed their sin. I told them where they were wrong. I made sure they know what the Bible says and where they've sinned and how they need to repent. I've done that work. But to spend time with them, enjoy a meal with them, get comfortable, recline with them. Oh no, I can't do that. They're going to get the wrong idea. They might think I, might, I may be approving of their sin. We may even bring out an example of how we're not supposed to even dine or shake hands with those who reject Christ. And listen, there is time. There is time and a place to shake the dust off our feet and to not even look or shake the person's hand who we have spent a lot of time investing into their life. But this is not a regular practice of a Christian life. Those are rare cases. We are called to be in the habit of both community and accountability together at the same time. Community without real addressing of sin is compromise. And then to hold someone to truth without love is pharisaical. Do you really think that by telling someone where they went off, where they were wrong, will change them overnight? Do you really think that's going to do an impact? It doesn't work that way. Even Jesus, who had the power to change people overnight, he sits down, he communes, and he dines and walks with sinners. How much more should we do that? How much more should that be a practice of the church? As a church, we're called to practice this very same thing 
inside with our brothers and sisters, and outside with the world around us. We are a collection of sinners if we are honest with each other right now. We are sinners saved by grace. And if we are honest, and if we are not blinded by self-righteousness, we should know that we have blind sides that a brother or a sister may see that we do not see. And so we do not just commune together, but we also keep each other accountable. That is how God has designed his church to operate. In this story, we see this perfect balance in Jesus of truth and love. Let's be honest, this is hard. To be both in community and accountability with one another is a place of tension. But that is where real change happens. And we see this tension even in our text. As the world around us becomes more polarizing, as more opposition comes against God's word and against the church, as we stand more and more in opposition to those in our community, we need to learn how to do this better. We must learn how to do this better in order to survive, church. We must learn from Jesus. We need to be incredibly incredibly comfortable with sinners. The worst of sinners, the worst that you can think about right now, we need to be incredibly comfortable with them. And at the same time, we need to be incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable with their sin. A place of tension. We tend to do one or the other. We really suck at doing both, don't we? This is where God invites us to come in. This is where true impact will happen. Where we don't just tell people the truth and leave, but we walk with them without compromise to the word of God. And isn't this what Jesus does to us? Just like Jesus, just like Levi, Jesus reached out to us sinners. He dined with us. He called us to repentance. And when we repented, he forgave us. But that's not it. He works with us. He continues to fellowship and walk with us throughout life. And let's just be honest about this past week. We failed. We've sinned. We've sinned against our brother. We've sinned against our neighbor. We've sinned against God. Yet he does not abandon us. He continues to walk with us, commune with us. And at the same time, he does not compromise on his word. He reminds us, of the truth. And so church, first step is for us 
to have our relationship with Christ, to have our fellowship with Christ aligned. And then, only then, can we begin as we see this being pra- how Christ practices this very thing of community and accountability with us. When we, are in, when, we are being, when we are practicing this with Jesus, only then can we begin to practice this with one another and the world around us. And that is what Christ is calling us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we, while we were sinners, you have loved us. While we hated you, you died for us. You took upon yourself our sin. And Lord, as we look at the cross, we see the perfect display of love for us sinners and a hatred for our sin. And that is where we find our hope, in the work that Christ has accomplished in defeating our sin and raising from the dead to life. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would not be blind. Awaken us. Awaken us when we are in delusion. Awaken us when we think we are so righteous and got it all together. Father, do not allow us to go to those places. Help us to always see our need for you. Lord, have mercy on us and guide us to fellowship with you always and forever. And Father, as you invite us to this place of tension where we are not only just to be in fellowship with one another, loving one another, but also hold each other accountable, Lord. And not just hold each other accountable, but also deeply love each other. Would you help us, God? Would you equip us as a church to practice this? And as we go into the world, Father, as we see people who are in such opposition to us, Lord, I pray that we would also, Lord, show love to them commune to them, and stand strong in your word, not compromising. Would you equip us to do all these things in Jesus' name? Amen.